0: Welcome to the Count of Vultures podcast. I am Peter Zaluski, the host. This is episode number 48 in our podcast series. It's also our Friday one on one interview. We call it the Real Estate Player's Profile. And what it is is that I go ahead and I interview someone, in this case, uh, two people. About a particular subject, uh, which is uh, or could be of interest to anybody who's interested in South Florida real estate, whether you're an investor thinking about investing and/or uh, operating in the real estate world. So for this particular week, I'm going to tap into somebody uh, I've known for quite some time, going back to the Great Recession. Uh, her name is Seema Kara. Uh, she worked on the distress side with me when um, you know when the South Florida market was really kind of going to hell and her business partner up in Orlando called uh, Daoud Bedrosian. What we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about Orlando. A lot of people in South Florida or Miami, they're looking for deals. Uh, People always like a cheap price. So um, one market that um, people will focus on at times is Orlando? Why is that? Because the hospitality industry. So many people are coming to Orlando every year, basically to see Mickey Mouse, uh, take advantage of all the different uh, parks that are up there, as well as the uh, convention center space and the various conferences that go on. So as a result of that, Orlando becomes a um, pretty attractive market for investors who basically want to be able to turn around, uh, buy a property, rent it out, and sort of collect a um, uh, you know collect the revenue or the rent, if you will at the end of the month or the end of the year. So we're gonna talk about Orlando, um, and the question is real simple. Is it too soon for Miami value investors to begin discount shopping for Orlando real estate? So I'm gonna ask Seema, I'm gonna ask uh, Dawood to sort of um, walk us through what's going on on the ground up in Orlando, and um, they're also gonna give us some uh, insight as to what they expect uh, for the next uh, nine to 12 months Granted, there's a pandemic, there's a presidential election, we're still in hurricane season, but all that being said, uh, they're going to do their best to sort of provide some insight. So it will be an interesting uh, conversation. It's a little bit over an hour and 20 minutes or so, but I think it's uh, time well spent. So um, let me just remind you before we begin the podcast that if you're not yet a subscriber, we'd encourage you to go ahead and do so so you're notified every single time we put up one of our podcasts. And also too, if you like what we're doing, uh, please give us a, a rating. Uh, the more and the better the ratings that uh, we get uh, that are out there, the more likely uh, the podcast is to go ahead and reach others. And uh, that's ultimately what we're after. Trying to give a straight talk about the real estate market in South Florida. And then finally, if you have any comments for us, uh, please feel free to send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So all that being said, I want you to now fasten your seatbelt. I want you to lean back and I want you to get ready to enjoy a fascinating Uh, conversation about the Orlando real estate market
1: are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale or anywhere else east of I-95 in the tri-county South Florida region if so the buyer brokers at condo vultures Realty are here to assist you condo vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com.
0: Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. We're going to have a very fun, interesting, and hopefully informative podcast. This week. And what are we talking about? We're talking about Orlando, but we're talking about Canada. And you say, well, what the hell's a connection? What is it? Mickey Mouse going to Toronto or something? No, 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 no. no. It's nothing like that. What we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what's going on in the Orlando marketplace. Anybody who doesn't know, this is the home of Walt Disney World. This is the home of MGM. This is the home of uh, Universal. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Orlando. It's a real major tourist destination. It's huge for conferences, huge for a whole variety of different things. And as we've done these podcasts, we've been trying to bring you, the listener, who primarily are uh, uh, investors and or uh, in the real estate industry, we're trying to give you some ideas as to where potentially you should be looking to invest if maybe Miami or South Florida doesn't, uh, isn't on the mark. So we want to look at Orlando this week. So what we're going to do is We're going to talk to somebody that – actually, two people that I've known at least 10 years. Uh, One person I used to work uh, closely with, that's Seema Kara. And I'm also going to talk to Dawood Bedrosian. Now, let me tell you a little bit about them before I bring them on, and then we'll get into our conversation about Orlando, and then I'll tell you where the – Canada angle comes. so. Uh, let me start off with Sema. Sema and I worked together back in the uh, during the Great Recession. Uh, Sima was working the condo vulture. She was doing bulk deals. That was really her focus. Anybody who doesn't know bulk, bulk is effectively when you try to buy ten units or more, buy it at a deep discount from a developer. And chances are you have to get a bank involved because the developer's upside down. Sema has her own company. It's called Polera. And she's now is doing yeah. development, which is uh, related to multifamily as well as hotel. Seema, what did, what did I screw up or what did I get right about that description?
2: <laughs> the name. The name.
0: It's not Palera? Palmera. 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 All right. No, I'm sorry. I got a little dyslexic moment That's today. Okay. So it's it's Palmera. Palmera. Okay. So yeah. now, n- now the crowd knows that. Okay. So is there a website maybe they can go to to get more information about uh, Palmera or did they need to look you up on LinkedIn?
2: Uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, Sima Cara, or they can go to my website, palmeraholdings.com.
0: Palmeraholdings.com. Okay, there you go. You got your plug in there, and hopefully that makes up for the uh, for the mistake. Now, with Dawood, hopefully I don't screw this up. He's actually the director of international sales. He works at REMAX Town Center. He's in Orlando, uh, originally from Canada, came down to uh, South Florida. I think it was the late 90s or so, and basically has been doing a lot of business, primarily on the residential side. But he does kind of everything. But uh, mostly residential in the Orlando area. Now, what did I mess up? Oh,
3: nothing at all. Moved to Florida in 2002. Been in real estate for about 12 years now. Got into real estate probably when everybody was going in the opposite direction, which is just as the market was crashing. And it was really, I think, the best time to get into it because you really got to learn real estate through a downturn and learn all the things that you need to do and work with clients and, and people you can coach and counsel on how to work through these investments on the upside and, and through a whole cycle.
0: Absolutely. And that, now you, you've been through that whole cycle. Um, uh, that would, why don't we start with you and then we're going to go back to SEMA and then we'll talk about how the two of you started uh, sort of working together. And, and, and then uh, what we will also do is we'll talk about uh, kind of what the Orlando market is. But before we get started, I want to tell you one rule of engagement. The rule of engagement is we're looking for straight talk. So don't try to bullshit anybody because chances are our audience is going to see right through it. And the other aspect, which you probably picked up on, is salty language is permissible. So if you turn around and you maybe say something you should have said, our audience is not going to be offended by that. So everybody cool with that? Fair. Uh, yeah, all cool. right. So, so the, the listener knows. We're going to do three 20-minute segments. First 20 minutes, we're going to talk about um, uh, each uh, Dawood as well as Sema. We're going to talk about how they got together. We're going to talk about the Orlando market in general. Then we're going to take a commercial break. I'm going to run some ads. I'm going to try to hawk some services to you, the listener. We'll then come back. And at that point, Dawood and Sema are going to talk about what's going on in the Orlando market currently from a real estate perspective. We'll take another break. I'll hawk some more services. And then finally, we're going to ask them to pull out the crystal ball and make some sort of prediction or or, uh, prognostication as to what might be coming down the pike. So you guys cool with that? Does that work? Let's do it. Yeah, that works. All right. Perfect. So why why don't we start with you? Um, uh, Florida's a melting pot. People are from everywhere else. There's, uh, what, a thousand people a day or whatever the stat is coming to Florida. Um, uh, So I always like to start off my, my podcast with saying, uh, where are you from, and how the hell did you get here?
3: Okay, so I am. I was born in Kuwait, moved to Canada in 1995, came to the U.S. in 2002. Obviously, great place to come to to escape the cold weather. Was- absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually really surprised at the time, as I still am, as to how living in Florida, the cost of living, how inexpensive general services are as compared to, you know, a a big and bustling city such as Toronto. And, you know, I was, like I said, I came to visit the first time in January and I realized the sun was out and there were palm trees everywhere and not, a snowflake on the ground. And I said, you know what, this is where I need to be. And shortly after I was here, I was living here, I started to work here and started to watch a rise in our housing market, 2006, mm-hmm. 2000, and, I mean, five, six, seven, it seemed like everybody that I knew was a mortgage broker or a real estate agent. And basically, yep. they would come up to me when I wasn't in the business at the time and they'd say, basically, come and pick out any house that you want and I'll get your mortgage for it. And, you know, thinking about making an investment the, the way one would in possibly any other country in the world, having to buy it either cash or with a very, very, very heavy down payment, it seemed, Quite surprising how you could buy a property at a hundred and I don't know three, four, five, six percent loan, where the bank was covering the whole expense for it and giving you extra money for blinds and the couch or a TV or whatever else. You <laughs> Those were the days. Costs. Yeah, and then I was like, well, listen, I don't, I may not make enough money to qualify for a loan, and I didn't realize they had these kind of like ninja programs: no income, no job, no assets. Just come, sign, as long as you had a heartbeat and a pen we'd give you a loan. And well, anyways, we watched that rise and fall. And at that point in time, I had an opportunity to get into the real estate market through several connections that I had in Canada. And uh, it it just seemed like the viable place to go for, uh, you know, a strong customer base. Let me give you a quick background on what was happening at the time. Mm -hmm. So people were losing their jobs. Things were, you know, the ground beneath our feet was, was falling Um, big banks were collapsing and and we're talking
0: like we're we're talking like 2008 or so is is that sort of the timeline okay
3: correct correct um you know it seemed like uh you know fdic would come in and shut down bank after bank after bank on every friday Friday. every friday when the suits showed up you know and you'd see banks that have been there for a long time and they weren't and you know the, the people that i used to work with they had banks call them in and say, listen, we have all of these assets that are not performing. What are they worth? And we'd have to come in there and just kind of give our good opinion on, on what their properties are worth because these banks had no clues uh, as to what was going on. So it, it proved to be a really great opportunity and it was really difficult finding customers locally or domestically within the United States. So the, the common logical thread was to see if our Canadian clientele would be interested in these properties. Now, just to let you know a little bit about the general psychology of a Canadian is, besides the fact that they're probably the nicest people on the planet. Um, and,
0: and they all wear a maple leaf at all times, whether it's <laughs> underwear or some sort of garment. They always have a maple leaf on
1: them.
3: Sorry. I think it, I think it just depends if you're from Toronto or not. But um, <laughs> but, anyways, um, so what most Canadians uh, do is obviously on any holiday venture to anywhere where there is sun that they can go and set out on a beach. So whether it's the Dominican, Cuba, uh, the Mexico, it doesn't matter where. And of course, in the United States, it's always Florida because for the most part, it's a short plane ride over for most Canadians that are living on the Eastern part of Canada. That's and of right. Of course, every single winter, every single Canadian says the absolute same thing, which is this is going to be the last winter I'm staying in Canada. <laughs> and for a lot of people, they didn't know that, you know, an opportunity like this would arise and it'd be a really great opportunity for them to come and make an investment here. So when the market started to crash, as compared to Toronto, a lot of the people could come here and buy a condo that was, you know, one to three bedrooms ranging from anywhere from $30,000 to about $70,000, $90,000 on average at around that time. Now, keep in mind, the Canadian dollar was still a $1.30, $1. thirty-five on average around that period of time. We had not got to that level where the Canadian dollar became stronger at par and even above par. That's which right. Which gave the Canadians this golden opportunity where it almost was like the stars aligned. They had the cash. The exchange rate was, as I said, at par or higher. They were getting properties at such a low uh, price. In in fact, it was actually even below replacement cost. So in other words, you could not build the condo for the price that you were buying it at.
0: So it yeah, was, yeah, it was, the, the United States was on sale. No question yeah. about that. Now, 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 Dawood, so. I want to stop you right there. Let, let me jump over to Seema real quick because I want to try to tie in the ends because now you're talking about the late, uh, you know, 2010, whatever the case may be, 2009. So let me try to uh, bring Seema up to that same timeline just so we, so we all get on the same page. Seema, um, how did you get to Florida and, and why did you come? This is the crazy state. Why, why did you come to
1: Florida?
2: Well, I, I grew up in Chicago, um, did my whole elementary high school in Chicago. The last year of my high school, uh, my parents moved to Dallas and I fell in love, got married, got a divorce three years later and decided to move to Florida where my sister was. So that's how I landed in Florida. And, 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 as and now arrived-
0: when you landed in Florida, Seema, where, where exactly did you, uh, did, did you set up shop initially?
2: Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. So that was 1992. Um, in 1993, I started working for Northwest Mortgage uh, through a connection. And so I started doing, you know, residential financing, basically FHA, conventional. From there, I met uh, Tom Flynn. He was a real estate appraiser. So he said, hey, come appraise with me. So I said, okay. So I, in 96, I got my real estate appraiser's license started appraising property, met a Coldwell banker recruiter on one of the properties I was appraising. And she said, oh, my God, with your attitude, you need to get into sales. So <laughs> I, I got into sales and loved yeah, it. Yeah, but time out, it. out.
0: It Sema, time out. So is, was that a compliment or was that a criticism?
2: <laughs> no, I think it was a compliment.
0: I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Not
2: everybody, not everybody can do sales. <laughs> so that was like, oh, my God. So I was young, you know, and I was hungry and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I got into sales, got my license 2000. I met my husband actually 99 closed like a few months after we started dating. And I was like, oh my God, the thing was he was Canadian. He was working in us. So here I'm like here and marriage comes along Yeah, We get married and then he's like, let's move. So I leave Florida and I go to North Carolina and then from North Carolina, I end up in Canada. My heart is always like, I want to be in Florida. I want to be in Florida. I don't want to be in Canada.
0: Okay. Now now let me stop you. See, most people go south because it gets warmer in the Northern Hemisphere. You're going the opposite way.
2: You know, you said uh, Canadians, true Canadians wear maple leaf no matter what the day is. Yes, that's my
0: husband. <laughs> OK, there you go. <laughs> all right. So all of a sudden you end up back in Canada where, where, or you end up in Canada. Where were where we living in Canada? You're living in Toronto or where? Uh, just
2: outside of Toronto in a beautiful neighborhood. Oakville. OK, so, you know, we raise our kids there. Um, we have a son and a daughter and I go to a wedding. And this was like right around 2009 mm-hmm. when the market had crashed. And, you know, people were, you know, losing their properties. And I go to a wedding and this guy comes to me and he goes, aren't you from Florida? And I said, yeah, i want to buy real estate there. And I'm like, oh, let me find out for you. Don't go anywhere. So I make a few phone calls and I'm like, guys, tell me what's happening. What's happening? And they're like, you got to get down here and you got to work. And then um, so I came down, and my advantage was that I knew a lot of Canadians. I'd built a lot of relationship between 2004 and
1: 2009.
2: Okay. In the Canadian market.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of friends, you know, a lot of friends, friends. Um, so when I went down in 2009, I was actually bringing Canadians down. So 2009, I go down, I get my license activated. I start bringing Canadians down to buy real estate.: Nice. Joined the local brokerage in uh, in Coral Springs, and then I met you. That's right.
0: That
1: is right.
2: (laughs) My life changed. That's right. (laughs) Completely. Yeah, I started learning about bulk, so we started doing bulk sales. I started meeting developers. Um, Then I got interested in you know what developers do and how they build. So I started uh, studying that, and then I started doing international sales, working with a lot of developers. And I think Peter, it was you that asked me. To look north. You said Miami was was done and the next area I needed to look was north so I went to Daytona Beach on your advice and I started working with uh, the Fordlow Group at the MG with ISG and these guys, Craig, you know him really well, um, and Phil. Started working with them, learned a lot about international sales, uh, traveled uh, for them in different parts of the world and made relationships there stronger. We did, uh, we did a show together in Canada and we took different developers to Canada and we did a, a, a huge uh, seminar there over three days, if you recall. And that's, that's when I met Daoud around that time. And, you know, Daoud and I just kind of clicked.
0: You, you two know? both run your own businesses, but what you do is co- you collaborate. Uh, so you may, you're you're focused on building multifamily and hotels. And Dawood is focused primarily uh, on the yeah. sales side of residential. Guys, would that be an accurate yeah. uh, sort of description for the audience? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now, now, uh, Seema, I know you're stat-oriented. Yeah, and Dawood, from our, our pre-interview conversations, you're definitely into the stats. So, so I, 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 how much stats do you guys share amongst each other?
3: Quite a bit, actually. I mean, you know, we have an ongoing conversation at all times. I mean, we, we collaborate on a regular basis to, yeah. to help each other out, whether it's, you know, finding projects or working with different lenders on different projects and, or sales. And, of course, Sima sends a lot of her investor base over for a lot of the projects that we're working on uh, as well, too. I mean, I mentioned to you that we are launching a 126, Townhouse project that will primarily be used as a short-term vacation property. Very modern, um, just down the street from Disney, three exits away. You know, uh, it's about a ten-minute drive or twelve-minute drive from Magic Kingdom. And like I said, it'll be
0: geared for a lot of short-term rental, three, four, five, and six bedrooms. With that's like helping
1: us out. On okay, that would
0: two. that would let me let me put, let me let me stop you there. Let, let's talk about that in segment two when we're talking okay. more so about the marketplace. Um, no uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about yeah, the, the two of you before we sort of take that commercial break, Got cause it. we're coming up, Got it. we're, we're, we're coming up on the end of it. Um, uh, so g- generally speaking, Seema, you're, you, how much time do you spend? And obviously everybody's dealing with COVID and you're in Canada and, you know, people coming from the United States into Canada. There's some problems there. Can, can you just give us an idea? How difficult is it for somebody in Canada today to actually come down to Florida? And I ask you that because there was just an article that came out that said that there might be, um, Canadians might be taking their time and maybe not even coming to Florida this year simply because of the COVID situation. So can you give us that, uh, that that pulse, if you will?
2: I think there's a couple of factors okay. why Canadians wouldn't come down right now. One, uh, one the exchange rate is not okay. so good right now. You know, uh, I think we're at 37 percent right now, 37 cents on a dollar. That's huge. It's just the politics about just what's going on, the COVID cases, how they're being handled. Florida uh, cases are not that great you know and Canadians look at news and they and they understand yeah. what's happening on the cases yeah. like
3: you know obviously being in Canada where it's a smaller population of people yes are it's getting better. Even greater precautions the numbers are significantly lower than Florida uh, numbers and I think in general it, it
1: you know,
2: it creates a yeah. little bit
3: of panic until things settle down. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In general, Canadians are a bit more conservative.
3: And, and ironically, Peter, from my perspective, I'm actually seeing something quite opposite to um, what we've just discussed in the conversation. You know, okay. we've worked with a lot of Canadians that have purchased with us in the past and harvested these relationships. And I'm, I'm actually seeing two things happening right now. A lot of the Canadians that have been sitting on their properties for eight, nine, five years, however long it's been, are now considering selling their property because of the appreciation that they've gotten. And more importantly, when we sold them the properties in the the beginning, what we told them was, guys, you're essentially buying a really great investment in Florida for a lower rate below replacement cost and essentially a property that not only will appreciate, but you're getting an extra factor, which is, An exchange rate which will drive your active appreciation in addition to what the market has dictated because of this exchange rate, which now
0: is 37% more than what they would sell it had the dollar been at par in Canada. Somebody who comes with a loonie to the United States uh, and they cash in that loonie for a dollar, they're effectively getting back, uh, what is that, 63 cents? Now, Somewhere somebody right. who's yeah. taking a U.S. dollar up to Canada, they're getting a buck thirty-seven. Would would that Correct. be a simple way to say it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so so,
3: so just put it in layman's terms. Oh right? yeah. If somebody bought a property for a hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yes. No, 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 no. I good. don't want to talk about the property. I don't want to talk about the market yeah. yet. No, 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 no. Sorry, hold sorry, on, sorry, hold sorry, on, hold sorry, on, hold <laughs> on. Sorry, sir. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. All right, Dawood. Right, so, so what what I want to ask you is what what were you doing in Canada, and then what did you do in Florida when you first got down here? Um, in terms of, uh, you know, transition. Or did you you have real estate uh, in Canada and then became a natural down here? Or could you kind of give us that uh, insight? Okay, so I
3: moved to Canada in 1995 and moved to the U.S. in 2002. I picked up a number of clients where I used to consult for them and be able to help expand a lot of their businesses and business practices to attract more clientele from other markets, especially a lot of the Canadian markets, which was really a blessing to be from Canada at that point in time and try and drive a lot of uh, traffic over there, Uh, companies in the transportation sector, in the uh, special events, a lot of people coming over from Canada and Europe to Florida for meetings and incentives. It was a really great business to be in and really kind of helped harvest the networking side of what it is that I do, as well as building the relationships with several clientele that in different industries actually became real estate clients um, over time as well, too. And as a result of that, by the time I fell into real estate in 2008, it just seems like a natural progression for what it is that I had done in the past to opening up new doors and new markets. Not only in canada but in other countries as well too which included brazil and china and you know wherever else we were attracting customers and investors um to our line of business which was
0: florida investment property interesting interesting okay so uh with that why don't we take our first commercial break you listen to the Count of vultures podcast on the other side of the break we're finally going to let Dawoo talk about what's going on in the orlando real estate market so
1: Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a condo vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859.
0: Welcome back to the Condovultures Vultures podcast. This is Peter Zaluski. I'm having a conversation about what's going on in the Orlando real estate market. And you're saying Orlando, why are you talking about Orlando? Well, some people who might uh, look at the South Florida market, uh, they might think that it just doesn't uh, fit them for whatever reason. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe it's too overbuilt. Uh, maybe it's too hot. I don't know. But uh, we want to give you some other uh, options to consider uh, for your investment dollars. And what is, what's one of these options? It's the Orlando market. So I'm having a conversation with Seema She I used to work with her back in the day during the Great Recession. She's now as a developer with Palm Era LLC, right? Is that right, Seema? Yep, Palmera Holdings. Palme- Palmera Holdings, I got that right, as well as her, <laughs> her partner, Dawood Bedrosian. He's director of international sales at REMAX Town Center in, in Orlando. And just so the audience, a listener, can keep it straight, Dawood is working on the residential side of their collaboration, and then SEMA does development uh, related to hotels as well as multifamily. Now, now, let me ask you the question that's on everybody's mind, and keep in mind, our audience is all over the world. Based on the analytics, we got people in Tel Aviv, we got them in Hong Kong. We got them in Bangkok, they're down in Buenos Aires, they're up in Toronto, they're kind of all over the world. Question everybody wants to know is what's it like to live with Mickey Mouse and are the parks open? Seema, so me- why don't you answer that? Okay. Go ahead, Seema.
2: I think the parks are open um, and they're trying very hard to keep them open and keep them safe, which is nice. Um, what's it like to live with Mickey Mouse? Yes. I think there's more to Orlando than Mickey Mouse. Oh good. And I say that after raising two kids and have gone to these parks many many times <laughs> over the course of the last 30 years. But I think I think Orlando just has so much more to offer than just Mickey Mouse. I mean the restaurants, the lifestyle, the you know, the just the corporations, the golfing, the, you know, the work environment, the culture, the diversity. There's just so much more to Orlando it, than the
0: Mickey Mouse. And Seema, Seema lay it out for the listener. Um, So if you're sitting there in Orlando and you want to go to Tampa, you want to go to Miami, you want to go to Jacksonville, you want to catch a flight, how difficult is it um, uh, being based in Orlando? Can you provide some context? And then I'm going to ask so Dawood it do, do, do the same the thing. thing.
2: I love living in Orlando because you're literally three and a half hours from anywhere in Florida. I've driven to Tallahassee, which was about three hours and 45 minutes to Fort Lauderdale, three hours or less if you're speeding a little bit, <laughs> you know, Daytona Beach, Tampa, Naples, you get anywhere in Florida from Orlando. It's easy. And Orlando has that large airport, Orlando International Airport, which is amazing also has the smaller airport, Sanford International. Uh, so it's
0: it's great. It's it's the true destination. It's where you should. be. you, you know, talking about that uh, that airport. Um, believe it or not, um, I was doing a lot of travel in 16 and 17, and em- Emirates um, out of Dubai is my airline of choice. So uh, sometimes I would actually take a bus up to Orlando because I gave up my car in 2013. Mm-hmm. I'm one of these. Um, I'm not a millennial, but I act <laughs> like it. And I would I would fly out of Orlando into Dubai. Uh, and ultimately end up in Bangkok or somewhere. And it was like 700 bucks round trip, so I got to really sample yeah. and see Orlando. Orlando is more than Mickey Mouse, and that's why I wanted to ask you that, Seema. What, what, what about from your perspective, Dawood? Uh, can you sort of get, fill in the blanks for people who think Orlando, Mickey Mouse? T- tell them what, what the real Orlando is. All right, let's let's
3: let's go on a really
0: great fast ride so that
3: you can get a great idea of what's going on in our uh, market. I'm just going to start off by just Taking a bird's eye view, looking at Florida and zoning all the way through, so that you can understand exactly why I, I, you know, I'm driving you guys this information. So, our state of Florida has over 21 million people living here. We're getting about a thousand people a day moving to Florida from places from the Northeast, especially New York, um, New Jersey, Illinois, and they're obviously coming here for several reasons. Most importantly, the weather. You zone in on a the Orlando, the greater Orlando area, which has over 2.5 million people living here. The cost of living is inexpensive. The geographic proximity to drive to any one of the places that SEMA said, you, know, you can get to Miami in about three and a half hours. You can get to Tampa, Florida in about an hour and 15 minutes. And if you essentially draw a circle around Orlando with, uh, sorry, from Orlando being in the middle, within about three hours, you can cover pretty much the whole state of Florida. That actually proves to be a really great advantage, especially for a lot of companies that are looking for distribution to a large population and to be able to reach, you know, such a vast consumer base in a small distance of time in a, in a state that has the most coastal mileage than anywhere else. Now, talking about Orlando more specifically, as of last year, we had numbers of visitors that hit above $75 million visitors coming to one city in a year. And they weren't only coming for Mickey Mouse or Universal Studios. They were actually coming here for various conventions, for other businesses, because we have other uh, sectors that are really uh, important for us here in the Orlando market. But let's just talk about conventions. We have the second largest convention center in the United States, and we have tons of convention goers that are traveling in from all over the world uh, the Orlando Airport is probably one of the easiest airports to fly into and get to wherever you need to get to, and a lot more cheaper to travel into than, for example, uh, Miami International. Mm-hmm. If you factor that in, and you realize, you know, why Disney picked Orlando, they were looking for a place that was going to be easy to get to, that had, you know, a nice mild climate throughout the year and great weather and and and
0: and, that would let me interrupt the other reason they picked it from what i've read is that it was within the state it was off the coast and therefore from a hurricane perspective unlike miami which is right there on uh, the atlantic ocean orlando is inland correct? correct
3: absolutely and and you know you touched on a really great point for the listeners that are concerned about that you know part of the reason why people find for example orlando Uh, to be a safer place to be in or, for example, a better investment opportunity is because it was a common question that came up. People used to ask about hurricanes and, you know, hurricanes lose their strength when they come on land. So by the time a hurricane travels from the coast inland, it definitely dissipates its strength. So you definitely touched on a good part here, too. So you find that Orlando, in terms of its affordability, is definitely a lot more affordable. than Peter, I know you can comment on this because even through corona the median price of a home in the Orlando market is uh 275 which actually we saw an increase from the median average of what it was last year at 250 and we're definitely- Okay
0: okay okay, okay. Let, let, let let me stop you there Dawood so so um, generally speaking the people who listen to our podcast um and, and again this is uh, this is episode 48 uh, which blows my mind but um, we've been talking about how how Miami has in South Florida has a lot of high-rise condos primarily Miami you're talking 50 60-story condo uh, tower with uh, you know 500 units and then you got single family as you start to go west so single family exists but most of the investors who come here they're looking primarily at the condo um, why don't you give me a breakdown as to what the market's like in Orlando because you, uh, Orlando doesn't have the high rises. Um, they do a little bit in downtown, but they don't really have the high rises. It's a little bit of a different makeup. So can you set the scene for the audience as to when they get to Orlando, besides Mickey Mouse and the Magic Kingdom, what, what exactly are they going to see from a residential real estate perspective?
3: So you're flying in, you're on the airplane, you're getting, you know, essentially a plane's eye view of what Orlando looks like. And you start to see the buildings downtown. A lot of those buildings compromise you know, the high rise banks that we have in the downtown area. And just like you said, you know, we have a handful of uh, high rise buildings, probably in the teens that, uh, you know, range from, let's say, 20 to 30 stories high. And um, you mostly find them in the downtown core. We have a lot of land in Orlando to build in. So what you found was a lot of builders ended up building outdoor, outdoor corridor um, apartment-style or garden-style apartments with, you know, 15, 20 buildings within a complex is the old gated communities with a lot of amenities there. And what happened more importantly in the mid-2000s was a lot of the developers ended up taking these apartment buildings and converting them into condos. So outside of that condo segment, what you
0: do find in plethora here is single-family homes. And the okay, now was, if I can stop you there, Dawood. Sorry about that. Let me just stop you now for our audience, again, all over the world. Now, Dawood talked about converted. Now, let me just explain to you what that means. And uh, if you have specific questions, you need to talk to your attorney about it. But generally speaking, in Florida, we have a way to create as well as recycle condominiums, and it's all based on paperwork. So, if you think of a two hundred or three hundred unit building, and you want it's a rental building, meaning there's one landlord, and you're send, sending your rent check to that one landlord. If you want to turn it into a condominium. Cost you about 100 grand, about six months, and you need some template language that an attorney files. Six months later, all of a sudden, that 300 or 200-unit building, uh, it becomes 201 or 301 properties. Why is that? One is for the common areas, and the other one's for each individual unit. So it became a condo. Now, if you want to recycle that condo, if a supermajority of the unit owners within a complex vote, remember, this is a condominium, so everybody owns their own unit, supermajority vote to go ahead and terminate it. Lo and behold, the third party is put in place, the property is sold, and everybody's um, uh, given a portion based on what percentage of the building they own. So, so we're able to create as well as recycle condominiums. And looking at it from the street, you don't know the frickin' difference. So, um, uh, Dawood, I don't know if you want to add anything, but if you want to pick up from there, just because I wanted like to hit on that term convert, uh, which not everybody knows uh, uh, throughout the world. So what you find in the
3: Orlando area, because of the amount of land that we have, is larger homes that sit on larger pieces of property with swimming pools, large backyards. Unlike a lot of other urban areas.
0: Now, now, now that would give us give us size because large could be one thing in Buenos Aires versus uh, Portugal. Correct. Okay, no problem. So you, what you tend to find is in our market
3: it, are a lot of single family homes that range anywhere from. Three to five, six bedrooms that are sitting on less than a quarter acre lot uh, in many cases because Aww. we have the land to build on. You don't have the density as you do in other urban areas where you have homes on top of homes or a lot of attached or detached, I'm um, sorry, uh, attached homes um, that give rise to, you know, a lot of duplexes like you see in a lot of homes in places up north, for
0: example. Got it, got it, got it. And, and, and these single-family houses uh, that you're referring to, you know, three bedrooms on a quarter acre or five bedrooms on a quarter acre, what kind of um, – uh, can you give a little context about pricing? Maybe where is it today, where was it, and uh, what do you see going forward with that type of uh, unit just based on market conditions uh, and your experience? So
3: we're definitely seeing the prices for all of these homes in every single category increase year after year. And even surprisingly more so during corona, all of us in the beginning of the pandemic in March and April were basically kind of standing on the sidelines trying to figure out if you know the market was going to collapse or not. But the opposite happened you know today, as it stands, the median price for a home in Orlando is two hundred
1: wow. and
3: seventy five thousand dollars wow, that go up from two thousand and Uh, 19 August pricing at $250,000. So there's definitely an upward trend on where our market is going. And as you can tell, based on the median price, it's so much cheaper than a lot of other places out there. You're getting a lot more house for very little money.
0: And and, in Dawood, in terms of that pricing, is it the same phenomenon that we're seeing in Miami and other parts of the country where people leaving vertical and they want to go horizontal, i.e., a high rise tower? into a house with with yard space so they can get that that breathing space uh, because we're going through this pandemic absolutely we're seeing
3: a lot of people relocating from miami and considering uh, you know uh, bigger homes that they can buy or moving to orlando for better job opportunities than they would have down there as well too and based on uh, a shift in uh tax return filings we're definitely seeing a large influx which uh, you know come Comprised that thousand people a day moving from places like New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, because Florida is such a short distance um, and a short flight down. They have better weather. There are several other advantages that are allowing people to come to our Sunshine State.
0: Okay, and let me stop you there. Let let me just stop you there. um, uh, That would you? You mentioned about two hundred seventy grand is the median price for a um, single family house that we were talking about, three, four, five bedrooms on a quarter acre. Yes. Unless that's okay. Quarter, that's right. okay, so so think about that listener. He's talking about two hundred and seventy thousand dollars for a three, four, five bedroom house in South Florida, in Greater Downtown Miami, where we have all our high rises. We're looking at three seventy five a foot, so that means a thousand square foot place will go for four hundred grand. You know, three hundred seventy five thousand, four hundred thousand, compared to what you would get in Orlando. And in Orlando, you got dirt. In Miami, you basically have a balcony space. Now, 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 now Seema, you, you develop multifamily. You develop hotels. Um, could, can you give some sort of context? What are you thinking now? What are you doing with your projects? And, uh, and maybe how does it compare uh, to going into COVID and, and, and what your original expectation was?
2: So we started our development company in 2017. Uh, and we started with two hotel projects at the time. And everything went, went fine. And then in early 2020, before COVID hit, we were still fine. We had added now two more hotel projects and a one multifamily project on our on our um, portfolio. After March, we got phone calls from our funding partners and said that they were putting the brakes on hotel financing
0: Ouch. New construction. Ouch.
2: So. Uh, it worked out for us because none of our hotels are like, we're not in an urgent place anywhere. We could take our time and our landowners are friendly and, you know, so we're not, we're not stuck. We did convert a couple of our hotel projects into multifamily. Interesting. Just because there's lots of money available if you're doing multifamily projects versus uh, hotel development.
0: Got it. So, so Sima, just so the uh, so the listener can follow. So, you're joint venturing with people who own the dirt and building, or you're also buying the dirt because you mentioned something you have. Both. Okay, okay. Yes. So
2: we're doing both. I'm also helping another developer who's building multifamily with immigration visa EB five. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh,
0: we have not had anybody on about EB five, but that's effectively <laughs> a, a program where if you invest and provide financing. Effectively, yes. somebody can get fast track for a green card um, yes, in the United States. Absolutely. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. So we're working with Koreans, a uh, group out of Korea, South Korea, okay. and uh, we're helping a developer uh, fund his project through EB five.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Now, 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 Sima, let me ask you about the multifamily. Um, uh, there's been there's been eviction moratoriums put in place in the state of Florida. Now, the CDC has put in place an eviction moratorium as a result of COVID nineteen through the end of the year. What, what, what what's it been like with you, with your tenants um how are they performing uh thus far uh in terms of uh, the people in your, uh, living in places within your portfolio
2: so i think that might be more of a doubt question because okay. all of our projects are new construction so we haven't gone through that and i don't think we'll get through that because by the time we're done funded and built hopefully this problem is going to go away oh so
0: you so you're <laughs> actually under construction right now
2: we are just we have dirt right now, and we're just going through the planning phases. Oh, nice! No,
0: so so, so we're we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot. Yeah, yeah. I would say, um, um, uh, in terms of the deals, are and as you're looking at dirt, are you seeing? How are you seeing dirt prices change? And 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 what I mean is land prices, because typically during a downward cycle, which at least South Florida is going yeah. through. Land prices uh, tend to fall simply because there's nothing you can do with it for the foreseeable future, unless it's entitled, already entitled.
2: I think the multifamily land parcels have not gone down in price. I think they're still pretty stable. Uh, all of our contracts went in before COVID hit. Okay, so we're going to be honoring that. We're not going to renegotiate our contracts with our with our landowners. Um, so I think we're in a better state than than other
0: people. Interesting. So, so what? One other question. I don't want to get too much into your personal, but 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 typically, if you are entering into an arrangement to um, to buy a piece of dirt because you want to build on it, and you're seeking the entitlements, which for the listener means you're going to go ask the city or the proper government body to go ahead and give you the approval to go forward. Do you, do you typically um, uh, is a deal contingent upon getting the entitlement, i.e., the approval from the government in order yes. to build? So, so if, yes. if the government rejects it, you basically can pull the ripcord and you're out some sort of, you know, kill fee or absolutely. something. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And there you go. But there you go. Listener. Working with, That's why we got. We're working,
2: with two governments. We're, we're working with two governments right now. Okay. One in Central Florida and one in South. I won't say which cities, yep. um, but they are eager, eager for us to develop and move ahead.
0: Okay. And let me ask you too, before I go to Dawood about the, about the rental market, um, uh, so, so Seema, um, have you had to change your thinking in terms of what you want to build, given the fact yes. that now we got the pandemic? Does somebody want to live in a – I'm not saying you're going to put up a 50-story tower with 500 units and 750 people, but uh, how have you had to change it or are you changing it uh, because of COVID and, and people wanting space? Yes,
2: yeah, so – you, space is a big one because a lot of the families we find at least one one member of the family who's earning is working from home okay or thinking long-term working from home so you got to create space you got to create like office type environment at home so we're rechanging our floor plans redesigning bringing in that concept of working from home wow so, wow yeah we are even the even you know spaces like WeWorks. I don't know if you are familiar with that or not, but even creating within like your multifamily projects, spaces where people can come to a common area and work.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, 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 before I go to the wood, one last question because you're talking about that, um, talking about the rental, talking about the multifamily. Sorry. So, um, uh, I, are you realistically looking to build what maybe your foot on the brake so you can deliver it once this pandemic thing is in the rearview mirror? or or is is the process just going along slowly and gingerly because nobody really knows what's going on and access to the government and the you know the planning and zoning and stuff like that can you maybe just talk about that
2: yeah so we are looking to deliver our product in 2023 or end of 2022 got it so we've paced ourselves that way we were actually going to be a bit more aggressive to deliver in 2021 mm-hmm. but I think we've kind of put brakes uh, we've taken this Six, seven, eight-month delay that COVID has given us, and we've kind of applied that to the end to
0: the end line. Makes sense. Now, now, now Dawood, um, I'm wondering before you talk about the rental number, um, a situation where it seems much more pragmatic and prudent to go ahead and still do what you want to do, but maybe at a slower pace. Is, is that what you're finding? with your investors and your and your and your sellers, your clients, or or is she unique, or is she kind of the norm? Would you say?
3: No, I, I really think it kind of really depends on you know, the stage of where you're at in your development, where your pl- clients are coming from mm-hmm. and, um, you know, wh- what offerings you really have. Because, I mean, I can tell you right now the future of what Orlando developments look like is we have tons of projects going on. I was just driving through downtown this morning and we have a bunch of frames going up. There's a number of apartment buildings going on. You know, the national home builders like PR Hortons are putting up you know, 600 plus apartment units with, you know, over 150 townhouses, senior housing, yeah. And they're also building within their complexes, you know, 150,000 square feet of retail space, 150,000 square feet of office space, you know, tons of office space going on. Amazon is moving ahead with six central Florida projects. So there's a lot of development going on. I mean, we are waiting on the final stages to get uh, our final permit for our 126. Uh, vacation townhouse project, which just like Sima said, you know, we retweaked our designs to be able to accommodate more bedrooms and have been actually receiving a lot of inquiries from people wanting to put down reservations for uh, using this as a quasi second home uh, for people coming in from the northeast that will be using this place as You know a workspace from home and you know some of the areas are converted into an office or a den or a family room area for example on the second floor uh which you know once was considered like a vacation rental property can now also be used as a second home while they go back and then rent it out for throughout the remainder of the year you know in places like i said just minutes away from disney
0: the da, da, Dawood can we can we can we roll up the sleeves on that project and maybe uh because I, I think if we work through it some of the numbers the audience might be able to get a good perspective because i'm assuming it's market price does uh w- w- would that work if i ask you some questions related to that oh, absolutely let's, let's fire away okay okay so um why don't we take our next commercial break on the other side of the break um that going to go ahead and we're, we're going to do a case study if you will back of a napkin uh to give you the listener an idea of what it uh, you know What's an opportunity like in Orlando today? So you're listening to Count kind of Vultures Podcast.
2: Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, CBR Realty.
0: Welcome back to the Count of Vultures podcast. Uh, We're having a conversation with Dawood Bedrosian as well as Seema Kara. We're talking about what's going on up in the Orlando market, that we got a good sense as to why people are looking at Orlando, got a a sense of maybe pricing and how it maybe compares to South Florida. Now I want to sort of do a back-of-the-napkin case study of a project that Dawood is representing. So, um, Dawood, tell me a little bit about the Azure Townhouse Project. What would you say, 126 townhouses? Yeah, so we have 126 townhouses that
3: we're launching, three, four, five, and six bedrooms. Ultra modern boutique project that's three exits away from Universal Studios. It's going to be gated. It's designed to be a short-term vacation rental property, but from the inquiries that we're getting, it seems like a lot of people are also interested in using this as a second home.
0: Okay, okay, so re- real simple for the audience um, three, four, five bedrooms, uh, townhouses. These things sound like single family. What, what, what's the difference between a single family house and, and, and one of the units inside the Azor? So these are two story, three bedroom, four
3: bedroom, and five bedroom units. And for the six bedroom, we actually have a three story plan. The unique thing about them is yes, they are in a, in a townhouse. Design, which means that they are attached to one another. But the unique feature that we're offering here is, with the exception of the three-bedroom, which comes with a jacuzzi in your uh, back patio area, the four, five, and six bedrooms actually come with your own private swimming pool. In addition to the swimming pool that's available at the uh, clubhouse as well, too. So it would be a great opportunity for someone looking to rent a place while they come and visit the parks or while they're here on vacation or for somebody else that's looking to use this as a second home and work from home while you have all the luxury of
0: the amenities that you need within your home, including your own private swimming pool. Got it, got it. Now 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 what about square footage though? I mean a six bedroom townhouse, what is that thing? Like eighty thousand square feet? <laughs> so
3: no, so are your three bedrooms are ranging uh, around fifteen hundred square feet, which is basically a total of just over two thousand square feet. The the four bedrooms are nineteen hundred square feet. The five bedrooms are just over two thousand, two thousand fifty three square feet. And the three bedrooms are uh, approximately twenty six to twenty seven hundred square feet.
0: Wow! So these things are massive, and you said they're two stories. Did they do they come with a garage, or do the people park their cars outside of it? How does that work? Yeah.
3: So. The three bedrooms have a garage, but the four, five, and six don't. But you have ample parking spaces. Remember, a lot of the people that are coming are not using them um, to, as a primary residence where they're going to have a bunch of cars parked in the garage. But, you know, in Florida, garages are really a storage unit more than anything else because everybody parks their car on the street anyways, because our weather is so great over here.
0: Yeah, or, or it's turned – it's illegally converted into an apartment or a mother-in-law quarters and somebody's turned around and it out for extra revenue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so the, the, this particular project, um, uh, what, what kind of maintenance fee are we talking about uh, uh, monthly on it? And if there's – is there any way to break it down on a per-square-foot yeah. basis? Yeah, so
3: it's really inexpensive. So our uh, ranges are going to be between – 216 to 260 square feet so if you were to just take the most expensive one yeah at 260 square feet and just round number divided by um, 2,000 you're looking at just under 15 cents a square
1: foot
0: okay one five audience one five that means every month you have to pay 15 cents a foot roughly and obviously, every, every each uh, individual project is gonna be properties gonna be different to give you context, in downtown Miami, you're looking at 75 cents a foot on maintenance fee per month. And in, on Miami Beach or the Barrier Island, you're looking at a dollar a foot versus the project that, that Wood's talking about, 15 cents a foot or so ballpark. Wow, yeah, that's, and, a, that's and, a big discount.
3: And you also have, you know, gated community, clubhouse, fitness center, swimming pool. You have cable and internet included. So, I mean, there's a lot of really great uh, amenities that, that come with.
0: Or an owner that's um that's purchasing over here as well too. okay and the next question is okay why, why don't we stick with that one you were talking about um oh, oh in terms of pricing what, what's the pricing coming out at um uh, per door per unit and then can you give us any ballpark about the per square foot
3: yeah absolutely so the the, the first thing that i want to point out is our entry-level pricing for the three bedrooms are starting at three hundred and thirty five thousand dollars
0: Okay, so 335000
3: Other cities, that's very inexpensive. And, um, you know, our four bedrooms are just shy of 400000 And if you look at it on a square per square foot basis for the four bedrooms, I mean, you're looking at $190 a square foot. Wow, 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 wow. All the
0: wow. that you're getting over here. Yep. Uh, that would how, how does it work? Um, uh, this is this is pre-construction, correct? No, nothing's nothing's completed, or is it under construction? Where where, where does yeah, it stand sure. in terms of that?
3: So so we're starting construction. Uh, our first units, our first eleven units, will be delivered by January two thousand and twenty-one, February two thousand and twenty-one. There's some incredible incentives that we're offering. Um, okay, our our clients as well too. So I mean, check this out. In spite of everything going on with uh, tourism, pandemic, and every other, you know, unforeseen uh, circumstance that we have here. The developer is rolling out a, a great program where they're in, they're providing for two years a 10% lease back guarantee, which includes two years of property management and two years of HOA fees paid by the developer. So for two years, you're guaranteed a 10% uh, leaseback. Um, for this property so if you buy a property for $350,000 you're getting a check for $35,000 divided into 12 months paid on a monthly
0: basis by the developer so 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 in other words the developer has somebody who's going to live in it so they're going to go ahead and they're going to lease it from you and then it's up to them to go ahead and stick the tenant in there yeah and what we've done is we've actually taken a
3: more of a a consumer and a and a realtor approach in in terms of designing and marketing this project because what we did was we wanted to look at other projects that we may have sold in the past and figure out what were the best features what are the best benefits and attributes that we can make to make this project unique so what we did was we figured out which models in other communities weren't necessarily working have more of the you know the four bedrooms and the five bedrooms in here and uh, to have more people staying in the project you know there's a rule of thumb that says, the greater number of beds equals the greater number of heads. That way, you can accommodate more people. The whole shift with vacation markets, as we're even seeing on, on the hotel side, is that people that move uh, to Florida for vacation are looking at vacation homes as an alternative to staying at a hotel because you can accommodate more people there. It's cheaper on a nightly basis to rent out one of these homes, and more importantly, you can cut down a lot on a lot of expenses from not having to go to the park on a daily basis or even buying and making your own food at home as well, too. So it provides a greater saving all across the board for families coming down here um, to visit
0: uh, Orlando on their vacation. And, and, and I haven't been to the parks in a while, but generally speaking, for the, for the listener, um, uh, this project is what, what would you say, dude, uh, three miles away from, um, from uh, Walt Disney World three, and MGM you know, three,
3: Universal? Yeah, three, three exits away from Magic Kingdom approximately okay. a 12 minute drive. Okay. And, um, you know, you're in the heart of everything that you need to be in. The area is designated, uh, for and zoned for short term vacation rentals. And at the same time, you know, we're well, well getting- I just,
0: I, I just want to stop you there. Uh, what, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make to the listener is that, um, anybody going to Disney and if you haven't been before universal, what's going to happen is you're going to drop a hundred bucks per day for the ticket per person. They'll set up a deal where if you buy a second day it's an extra fee once you get inside there you're looking at probably I don't know guys uh, correct me if I'm wrong you're looking at seven bucks for a soda uh lunch is gonna cost you 15 bucks parking's probably 20 so before you know it you're dropping probably 200 bucks a guy or 200 a person per day now if you're bringing in a child it's probably maybe a little bit less so so if you add on top of that staying in a hotel and what you're gonna pay at a hotel This is why, uh, you know, having one of these 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 places where you have three, four or five bedrooms, you can bring some families together. Everybody can stay and you can sort of cut down on the cost because most of the money you're going to burn is going to be associated with the park. Would would that be a correct assessment?
3: Absolutely. You nailed it right on the head. And, you know, in many other cases, there's many people that have opted to purchase even larger homes, single family homes that range from you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 bedroom houses as well, too, because there's a lot of larger families and
0: sporting groups that yep. are coming to visit and it'd be easy to house everybody in one home. And, and uh, as mentioned, the convention center is so large in Orlando that a lot of people come to Orlando, they don't go to go see Mickey Mouse, they go for a, a conference, something like that. And this might be a, p- a possible accommodation where they could potentially stay, Correct.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Orlando, on more than one occasion, has been ranked as the second fastest-growing city in America, the second best city for future job growth, uh, one of the top ten for fifty-plus um, age group looking for a new home, mm-hmm. uh, the number one city for a first-time homebuyer, the number one best vacation destination in the United States. So, I mean, we're up there, you know, on a regular basis. And I mean, I think essentially, you're a bad parent if you don't bring your kid to one of the parks. At, some point in their, their
0: life as well too. <laughs> well, well. Um, uh, what I'm wondering, Dawood, is um, what what's the structure? If somebody wants to buy this preconstruction, um, what, what what's the structure in terms of down payment and things like that?
3: Yeah, so it's really simple. You sign up for a reservation. It's five thousand dollars. You go into contract. You put ten percent down. We have several programs with with several lenders uh, with as little as twenty percent down. Uh, for a lot of the local and Canadian buyers, for international buyers, we're looking at maybe upwards of 25% of the down payment, and that balance will just be paid at, at closing. Unlike a lot of the pre-construction development sites in, in Miami, for example, or even in Toronto, it's a pretty easy structure to manage, and because the price points are low, the down payments are low, and they're very manageable for a lot of buyers looking to be in
0: our project and community as well, too. Okay so j- j- just to, just to keep it simple so so you five grand you go under contract the contract goes hard 15 days later and at that point you put up a 10% of the purchase price. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Okay, okay. And
0: no, no additional money necessary until closing? Yes sir. okay. And uh, closing generally speaking, how far in the future uh, is, is that uh, uh, that would for somebody who might be interested.
3: So we are lucky enough to be able to build throughout the year. So our builder is telling us that we should have the first delivery of our unit in the beginning of January, um, February 2021. Okay. So we're anticipating turnaround time basically about five months to be on the conservative side.
0: So, okay. 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 And, and this isn't a build to suit or anything like that. It's not like once somebody goes on the contract, it gets built. Uh, the developers go ahead and building them. Uh, exactly. Uh, okay. Okay. So so 100, 126 townhouses. Um, how many phases is that? Is it is this a, is this a multi-phase uh, development or is it something you're going to do in one or two phases?
3: No, it's, it's, it's going to be multi-phase. But I, I think with the kind of amount of reservations that we're getting in interest that we're getting, as soon as we blow out the first set, will just be steamrolling through the project and selling them as we go. And the best part about it is you only have one property management company that's managing it. They've managed over 5,000 properties throughout the United States. Yep. So it reduces any kind of cannibalism that you would have between property management companies trying to undercut on a daily rental part. Got it. Um, And, you know, like I said, you know, more importantly, it's gated community, great place to live. One property management company has some really great incentives and you know, it, it should be an, a really great and fun project to sell because it's not that large and there's a lot for it to go sell itself. So.
0: so, so, two questions, one question for the investor and one question for the realtor. Um, do you cooperate with realtors and if so, what kind of commission? And then on the investor side, you said short-term rental. What does that mean? Does that mean I can rent the 365 days a year? Is that weekly? Is that monthly? Um, so if you could just elaborate on those two.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, in terms of coming back to the program that we have, I mean, uh, our investor can come, purchase this property for two years, get a 10% leaseback and still use the property for two weeks out of the year. If they choose to, if they want to use it for more, obviously they can use it for more, their leaseback will decrease slightly. Mm -hmm. If they want to use it outright for themselves or for six months out of the year, they're free to do that. For the realtors out there, yes, we do uh, collaborate with uh, with agents, and we do have a uh, a commission structure available to them as well too. And um, you know, come check us out at uh, the Azure Yeah. Um.
0: Uh. In terms of the program, you know, the two year leaseback. Um. Um. Uh. That would. Is that something that was imp- implemented uh, because of COVID or is that something that was there before COVID? Because I ever say everybody knows what's going on with the economy, things like that. I'm just trying to get a sense. No, actually,
3: you know, it's something that we had designed in our planning phase. Because, so we designed this program because SEMA and I were traveling throughout. We realized what the investors were looking at were really a bottom line. They wanted to make sure that they liked the project that they were going after but their ROI on the investment that they were buying was more important than Supreme over everything else. Mm -hmm. So the best way to address that was to say, okay, what are the concerns here? Do I have a property manager that can take care of my, my property? Yes, you do. Can I buy it as a foreigner in Florida? Yes, you can. What kind of return am I getting? Here's the return. Can I use it myself? Sure you can. So once you check off all of these boxes, automatically it removes a lot of the objections or concerns a lot of people have because, With specifically Orlando-type properties, what everybody came to ask us when we first started to go and and present properties to them when the market crashed last time was they all wanted to buy a property that eventually they could use themselves. Just like I told you, Canadians wanted to escape Canada and come and use that property in the wintertime. A property like this is exactly what a lot of um, people from the Northeast or people from Canada, for example, would consider, or even foreigners
0: from other countries in the world. Got it, got it, got it, and and um, uh, Dawood, I don't, I don't know if you answered the question about um, what is short-term rental. How, m- how many times a year can you rent this in? So you can rent this as often
3: um, as we can have a renter come and rent the property here. Okay. The daily rentals um, depend on the time of the year, seasonality. But for example, I mean, if you were to look at a five-bedroom, just to look at averages.
0: Yep. You
3: know, In January, you're looking at two hundred and twenty dollars a night, going up to about three hundred and forty, fifty dollars a night in the summer months, between two fifty and three hundred and change. And then, of course, you know Christmas, uh, New Year's being you know the higher part of the year, and that yep. can go off into
0: the mid three hundreds as well for a townhouse unit here. Got it, got it, got it. And if somebody wanted to go their own way and not use the flag operator, could they use an Airbnb type of concept, like a home sharing? Or,
3: yeah. So the you know the way that we've designed this so that we don't end up getting into those kind of situations is we've just limited it to one property management company doing all of all of uh, the property management and the bookings and so on and so forth. Now the good thing about it is we've managed to team up with you know the Airbnbs and the uh, VRBOs and the Homeaways and. More importantly, we've even got Marriott to sign up, so all of their uh, subscribers and users within their programs can also often not only go for a hotel but actually look at some of these properties as an uh, alternative, option alternative sorry option to um, to stay in when they're here in the Orlando market
0: so so layman's terms basically if you want to rent it, you notify somebody in the office, somebody in the office makes it available everywhere where there's an arrangement uh, pre-existing Correct. Got it, got it, got it. okay. So, so Dawood, um, uh, I'm familiar with condo hotels, and with a condo hotel, typically, if there's a if there's a flag operator, flag operator is going to take half of the nightly revenue. Does uh, how does it work at um, at the Azure? Is it is it similar? or Is it different?
3: No, it's a, a lot better than a lot of the structures that you see in a condo hotel. Over here, we're only charging twenty three percent for property management fees, and of course, you know, there'll be some cleaning fees and other. Um, minor expenses for the, the maintenance of the home between when your um, guests are staying there. So definitely a lot more
0: savings there than when you're looking at some of the other condo hotel alternatives. Got it, got it, got it. And, and then just, just to summarize, so the maintenance fee will be about $0.15 cents a foot per month, and then on the overnight, uh, the fee will be like 23% of the, of the nightly fee, correct,
3: in terms of uh, expense? On, in terms of the property management fee. Yep, okay. In terms of
0: property management. Got it. got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Um, see, see, I want to ask you, um, uh, um, that we just gave a really good, uh, perspective as to, you know, maybe some of the investment opportunities that are kind of out there. Um, what are you thinking? You and I were running hard during the, um, during the downturn days and it sounds like Orlando's doing well. Uh, uh, you know, not necessarily the case in South Florida, at least condos, single family's doing very well. What, what, you're an investor, you're investment oriented. You got some stuff in the, um, uh, in the fire, uh, as a cliche goes. What are you thinking? Are you looking at new construction? Are you looking at the stress? Are you sort of sitting on the sidelines? What's your um, uh, spidey sense telling you?
2: So uh, three okay. things. I'm sitting on the sidelines when it comes to investing in large projects right now, because I think that commercial, especially hospitality, yep. there will be some great opportunities come spring, 2021 or summer 2021 okay. um new construction as long as you're not going to have product out into the market in 2021 um spring or summer i think you're fine
0: simply because nobody nobody knows uh, about covid but who knows maybe there's a vaccine and overnight yeah. everything
2: is like yeah, but I,
0: it's unlikely
2: even the big, everybody's waiting on the sidelines yep. for that they want they want to see the new government yep. in place they want to see what changes are coming from that. They want to see the vaccine yep. come out. They want to see how uh big funders, uh finance companies are handling this yep. COVID. And they want if the hospitality market actually goes down. So I think that there will be some good opportunities coming next year, but it'll be like mid okay. next year. So I think people are sitting on the sidelines for that, and including us, we're sitting on the sidelines when it comes to that. But any, any of our projects that we started on land acquisition in the last 18 months, they're not ready to be developed. We're still in our planning phases and acquisition yep. phase. So they're not going to be ready until 2023. So we're fine. Uh, when I look at the investors that I'm referring to, Dawood, for residential, yes. I think that's a hot market right now. Interest rates are down. You know, sellers are motivated to give you a better mm-hmm. deal right now so i think if you're an investor and and i had a lot of investors canadian investors who wanted to buy in you know between 2009 and 2012 who sat on the sidelines thinking what if what if Big what regrets. if you Big know regrets they
0: have today <laughs>
2: <laughs> right i think i think those people if they're looking for a deal i think they should start talking to with somebody like that because i think that that those deals are probably available and right
1: now Daoud-
0: We've been working for six yep. months. Remember, Dawood, are those people talking to yeah. you?
3: Yeah. So I mean, uh, yes, they are. I just want to make a small correction uh, to what Sima said. I, definitely, a lot of people are talking to us for uh, in the in the segments that Seema's mentioning. I have a ton of Canadians that you know are sitting in Canada right now and looking at some of these um, the some of the deals, especially in the vacation market sector, because I think what happened there is due to uh, you know. The, decrease in number of tourists coming here there may have been some investors that have been buying these properties with a mortgage that are sitting in countries like brazil or venezuela or china that are now looking to offload some of those properties because they have multiple properties and this is a luxury item for them um and they may want to sell it uh, especially the vacation condos you're seeing a lot of good deals um there with two or three bedrooms in the 150 range that you can use or you can uh, rent out, and what you're finding is especially the older demographic are looking to use that as a smaller second home, um, as well as the townhouses, and in some cases, the uh, the smaller vacation homes as an alternative to a second home down here, which they can use now. From a primary residents you know a really interesting fact that i can share with you in the orlando market is between that 160 to 400 range mm-hmm. we have less than a single month supply here so contrary to what seem yeah, i
2: agree with that yeah, yeah so con- no i agree with you on the primary side yeah
3: yeah so on the primary side it's actually the seller's market where you know multiple offers the prices are going mm-hmm. up and a lot of people are are buying these homes well over asking price as well too so I think it's a, definitely a hot market i think because the pricing is is lower than most other places that people are coming in from yep uh, you know we have a lower interest rate i think that's really what's setting the wind in the sales for this hot orlando market and why our yeah. inventory is low and our prices are going high perfect
2: yeah there's two different there's two different segments that are buying right now there's investor market who's kind of holding yep. and watching And investing, you know, where they see a good deal, they're grabbing it. And then there's the primary side who are actually taking advantage of the low interest rate, you know, and and purchasing these properties. So
0: that was right. Okay, so um, uh, we're going to we're going to wrap it up right here. Uh, Seema, why don't you start? Why don't you uh, look in that crystal ball and make a a prognostication as to um, what we could see for the next, uh, let's say, nine to 12 months. Keeping in mind, we have no vaccine for a pandemic. We have a presidential election that uh, In the United States, it's going to be taking place. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of civil unrest in the United States, generally speaking, with protesters and stuff like that. That being said, Seema, uh, what do you say for the next uh, six, nine, 12 months in terms of uh, real estate in Orlando? What should people be doing if they're listening to this podcast?
2: I think cash is king. I think people should be uh, not spending too much, uh, keeping their revolving that low as possible. Um, making sure that their credit doesn't fall apart, because I think there will be some great real estate opportunities uh, that they can take advantage of from an investment perspective. Uh, I think that uh, real estate will settle down. You know, it may might be faster than the real estate market crash of 2008. So I think we'll have a better recovery, not as long of a
0: got recovery. Got it, got it, got it. And is there any sign uh, they should look for in terms of okay now's the time to start buying
2: I think I think if you are uh, if you're looking for a home a primary home to live in uh, like that would said interest rates mm-hmm. are low if you've got good credit I think you know bank will lend to you I think it's a good time I think they'll get some good deals out there even though it is a seller's market I think there's still some good deals out there from an investment perspective I think uh, I think they should just hold off just to just a little bit, not too much, a little bit, but I think they'll see some good deals. And, and Dawood plays a big role in, in all this because, you know, I still think Florida has just one too many cases. Got
0: it. Got it. Uh, Dawood, what's, what say you? You're on the ground, you're in Orlando. Um, what are you thinking? <laughs>
3: You know, it's really hard to tell. And I really wish I was somewhere in the Bahamas in a beautiful mansion sitting (laughs) on the beach with the crystal ball right now. But, you know, I can tell you, you know, in some cases, the future looks really bright. I mean, there's tons of projects going on. There's tourists that are uh, driving in from other states. I mean, I was at uh, Disney Springs in downtown Disney, and it was pandemonium. I mean, it was pure chaos. There's tons of people there. It was really great to see the place busy again. The parks are opening up. They're taking precautions. I told you there's you know, several projects taking place right now. Amazon's moving ahead with six Central Florida projects. But there's, a, you know, there's an imminent danger that we should also be weary of. You know, we have uh, over 31 million workers that are either receiving unemployment benefits or have applied and waiting to get some benefits. Mm-hmm. There's tons of people that are um, worried, you know, are anxious, whether they are going back into work or have decided not to participate in the workforce. Um, right now. You know, we have a temporary uh, higher unemployment rate in the Orlando area. You know, there's been a lot of programs that have helped a lot of people during COVID, such as the PPP program, the unemployment benefits with the $600 that the government was giving, which of course ended, the forbearance programs that helped a lot of homeowners um, with their mortgages. So as a result of that, you know, what we've managed to see is obviously low inventory of homes, prices going up, and really what it comes down to is simple supply and demand, basic economics 101. But now with all of these potential changes, what we're seeing is two things happening. You know, this forbearance may cause a small wave of greater inventory that may come into the market. And if that's the case, um, we will definitely see an increase in supply and a decrease in prices. But at the same time, you know, to curb that, I think really what it comes down to is really need to start focusing on the sub market that we're looking at, because once again, there's a lot of people moving out of bigger cities into sub markets where the rents are less, the property taxes are less, you're getting more space. You know, you have the advantage to work remotely uh, and that would be something to think about. But I, I really think, you know, for the investor, maybe look at a small wave of homes coming at the end of 2020. And even more so towards the end of 2021. Of course, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what policies are going to come into play, what's going to happen. But I think the facts, based on what's going on, um, where you know we are at a time where the eviction moratorium is um, come to an end, and we may see more people that are being evicted out of their homes. Yep. And we may see an increase of of inventory in the in the market in um, rentals in the market. So you know, adding that to inventory will be able to do that. But so, I mean, I just want to offer your listeners two two things that they can do. So, I mean, what can they do in the meantime is obviously keep a watchful eye on the markets that they're interested in, maybe start looking outside of their local market into other markets, because in the day and age that we live in, you can easily find property manager to manage your property across the country. You could definitely get better, um, better deals. Better uh, pricing in in other markets outside of your own, for example, Uh, Orlando's a really great one to consider. I would advise to maybe watch where the population is migrating from and look at where they're settling into. Like Sima said, cash is king. You know the adage, uh, famous real estate phrase was location, location, location. I think when I learned what I learned in the 2008, it's really location, location, debt. (laughs) <laughs> what about timing?
1: Are...
3: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And I, you can add timing to it, right? Because if, you know, those who are sitting on the debt, they may be sitting on a great location and it may be your time to go and scoop it up. Yep. Uh, as I mentioned, yep. I think, you know, start getting pre-approved for lines of credit. Not necessarily use it now, but just, you know, have it open for you. And, you know, keep in mind that I think the banks, if they come into a situation where they're dealing with, with uh, short sales, and foreclosures, I think they've been equipped from what they learned 10, 12 years ago, that I think they'll be holding them closer to to uh, to their chest and making sure that they release them slowly so that they are not losing money on it. But I think it's a, definitely a good place to, to start learning about this so that an investor can come and understand what the process is and, and you know. Uh, take advantage of that, Daoud, so um, um thing...
0: how, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to? Uh, if they like what you're uh, what you're talking about, if they want to hear more about the Azure, what, what's the best way for them to reach you?
3: Yeah, so best way to reach me is at info at thebestfloridahomes with an S. That's i n f o at thebestfloridahomes.com dot oh. com. Um, and you can always reach me on my LinkedIn at Dawood Bedrosian as well too.
0: And I'd be happy to help you in any way that I can. Okay. And Seema, if somebody is interested in maybe talking to you about uh, joint venturing, or maybe they got some dirt, or maybe they want to become a partner or something like that, um, how can they reach you?
2: Or even immigration visa, yeah. if they want to do EBITDA. There you go. Uh, they can call, send me a text message on my cell phone, 407-421-3870.
0: That's the best One way. more time. What's that uh, that telephone number?
2: That cell phone number is 407-421-3870.
0: Fantastic. And that is Seema Kara. She is with Palmera Holdings. I got it right, right, Seema? Perfect. Perfect. Yep. It's she's, perfect. She's, 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 <laughs> a, she's a principal over there. And uh, Dawood Bedrosian, he's Director of International Sales at REMAX Town and Center. I can't thank them enough. Um, listeners, I'm sure you got a lot of information that gives you a different perspective about Orlando. Um, if you're not yet a subscriber to our podcast, I'd encourage you to do so wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a rating and give us a comment. And if you want to, uh, make a comment based on this podcast or, or maybe a podcast we've done thus far, please feel free to send us an email at inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I N Q U I R Y at condovultures.com. I'm Peter Zaluski. until next time. Ciao, ciao.